Hi, this is Robert Fleming, one of the partners at Fleming & Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm. I'm sitting here with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, one of the other partners. And uh, this is Elder Law Issues that you're listening to, our weekly podcast. This week, Elizabeth, I wanted to talk about beneficiary deeds. We've talked about beneficiary deeds before. We've written about them. Arizona is one of a growing number of states. A little bit more than half of the states have some similar provision where you can name a beneficiary on your, uh, for your home or other real estate. And, and by the way, it could be any real estate. You could own a multi-million dollar mining property in your own name and, and have a beneficiary deed for it if you were so inclined. Though, of course, you wouldn't, but you, you get my point. Uh, beneficiary deeds are a wonderful way to transfer property efficiently and inexpensively without having to in incur the cost and trouble of going through a probate process when you die. But I wanted to spend a little time kind of explaining to people that there are some issues about beneficiary deeds that make them not perfect for all circumstances. Do you agree with that first? I do, Robert, and I think that there are often real misunderstandings about beneficiary deeds. I think the most common misunderstanding is that you actually need to record it. Yes, you you can't on, in Arizona, and we need to be very clear, we're talking about Arizona's version of beneficiary deeds throughout this podcast. We know nothing about, well, not quite nothing, but almost nothing about the law in other states. Arizona is very explicit, though. You cannot have a beneficiary deed that is effective without being recorded. You can't sign a beneficiary deed and leave it in the desk drawer so that the kids will find it after you die and record it. After you die, it's too late. Not effective in Arizona. And Robert, I think that that raises a really important general point for people about deeds, not only beneficiary deeds, but things like special warranty deeds, quick claim deeds, and other types of deeds get some professional advice about preparing a deed. Make sure that you can actually convey proper title to real estate when you record the deed because a lot of folks assume that the recorder's office is going to proofread the deed or verify that the deed will be effective when it's recorded. None of that happens. It's really a wild west out there when we consider deeds and the kinds of impact these instruments can have, both positive and negative, on an, on an estate during somebody's lifetime or after their death. So beneficiary deeds can really foul things up if you don't know one exists and you're trying to convey title a different way. They're also really ripe for error because people don't consider whether or not the information that's on the beneficiary deed will have any effect on the other elements of their estate plan. I've had people try and include things like personal property that is inside of a residence on a beneficiary deed. You can't do that. That doesn't work. The beneficiary deed will not convey tangible personal property within the residence. One of the things that people get when they come to a law office like ours to discuss their estate plan is some conversation about whether the beneficiary deed is an efficient way for you. And and I want to be very clear, Elizabeth, and I know you agree with this, that we are not opposed to beneficiary deeds. We use them all the time. But there are some cases where they're just not really the appropriate way to transfer property. 
my favorite is the client who has seven or eight or nine kids and comes in and says, I just want to do a beneficiary deed, leave everything to the seven or eight or nine kids, uh, and that will avoid probate, and, and that's less expensive than doing a living trust, right? And I say, yeah, you're absolutely right. And now your seven children, do they all get along perfectly? Because they're going to all have to sign the listing agreement. They're all going to all have to sign the sale agreement. If one of them thinks they want to live in the house, then the others can't transfer the title without that person. Uh, it's going to be a nightmare to administer. Please pick the most responsible of your children to manage your estate. And then we can talk about the relative merits of a will or a trust for that circumstance. But the beneficiary deed is not an attractive option for somebody who has uh, a passel of kids. No, Robert, it's not. It's also not an attractive option if the beneficiary who you want to name on the beneficiary deed is somebody who is incapacitated. So having a son or a daughter, relative, a friend who does not have capacity, who does not have the ability to manage money or make decisions regarding their finances or contracts, if somebody doesn't have capacity, listing that person as the beneficiary on a beneficiary deed really creates issues and, and lots of different kinds of issues. One thing that comes to mind, Robert, when multiple people are named on a beneficiary deed, sometimes folks don't think about what's going to happen if one of the people named is not alive when the beneficiary deed takes effect. So can also sometimes actually trigger a probate of one of the beneficiaries and his or her interest in the estate. Yeah, there's the irony. We may not have to probate your estate because you signed a beneficiary deed, but we might have to probate your daughter's estate because she died before you. And there's some dispute about who is entitled to, to the, the property or her interest in the property. Robert, what about things like a best guess for a property description on a beneficiary deed? Heck, I have the mailing address of this property, right. but why on earth do I need to actually give two hoots about the parcel number? Right, or I have the parcel number from my tax statement, but I, I don't, that long legal description, that's, that's a real nuisance. Well, that goes back to something that you said earlier, Elizabeth, that, that the whole notion of how to transfer title is uh, it involves professional expertise and it's something that we lawyers do better than lay people um, and title officers do even better than we do. Um, sometimes we may even recommend to you that uh, the property has been in the family for several transfers, several generations. It's time to actually get title insurance so that we can identify who exactly owns what interest in the property while you're still alive. Uh, so that um, so we can sort that out if it needs to be sorted out um, and make sure that there's insurable title because your children or your siblings or whoever is going to receive the property, they're going to need insurable title after your death so that they can liquidate the property. Well, Robert, I think that's a wonderful point. And I have a lot of questions from clients when we talk about creating deeds that I will have clients often ask why they're not able to just work with a title company to prepare a new deed. You certainly are, and that's a much better plan than downloading a form on um, the internet and trying to complete a deed by hand yourself. 
However, remember the title officer is not going to have the rest of your estate plan in front of him or her and be able to give you legal advice about what the effect of the beneficiary deed will be on your estate. So I really encourage clients to work with title companies if they want to have a new deed prepared and they don't want our office to prepare it. I take no offense. I think that's a great plan. However, the issue that I often have to talk to clients about is the fact that the title company is not going to know the effect that the beneficiary deed will have on your estate plan because they're not attorneys. They're, they don't have that document in front of them. And I don't really want a title officer interpreting the terms of your trust. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, and apropos of that and kind of harking back to my, my suggestion about uh, larger families, uh, if, the, if a parent says, oh, I get what you mean about the seven kids not getting along, so I'm just going to make the beneficiary on my beneficiary deed my oldest daughter, and she can sell the property and divide it. Well, please don't do that because I've talked to her, well, not literally her, but people in her circumstance who say, um, yep, mom left the house to me, and uh, that's because I was the one who took care of her and she recognized that, and no, I'm not sharing that with my siblings. If what you want is the proceeds from the house to be shared with the siblings, leave it to the siblings, just not by a beneficiary deed. Do it by a will or a trust. And let's talk about it. Let's talk about which is suitable for your circumstance, what the relative costs and, and drawbacks are. Let's uh, let's make an actual plan rather than a, uh, a haphazard, haphazard plan um, that, uh, that just comes from your desire to save a couple of bucks on the probate. I think that's important to think about, Robert, and I hope folks who are listening today know that we're able to find a copy of your deed. It's okay if you don't have the original with you. If you want some legal advice regarding the deed that may be the deed for your primary residence or your second home or the vacant parcel of property that you have, please let us know. We'll see if we can dig around and locate that through the recorder's office in whatever country uh, county the property is located in and we'll help do some of the legwork for you. So don't don't just wait to get advice because you don't have an original copy of the deed. Let me do one last downside that I hadn't even thought about until I heard this story from a fellow lawyer. Didn't happen in one of our cases and I think it's probably something that can be worked around, but I, I have heard this story about um, somebody who did a beneficiary deed, the children recorded their death certificate, the property transferred, title transferred automatically to the children, and a month later, the house burned down, and the homeowner's insurance took the position that uh, that it had transferred to new owners and they weren't named insureds. Now that story is as much about how important it is to get back to the insurance company right after your parents' death and, and update the insurance as it is about beneficiary deeds. And as I heard that story, uh, it turned out that the insurance company ultimately capitulated. But to the extent that it illustrates that it's more than just recording documents or just writing a deed, um, it's a good cautionary tale for get some good legal advice, both in preparation of your estate plan and on the death of a loved one to make sure that you do the right thing in a way that doesn't cause some unforeseen problem down the road. These problems are complicated. The choices are uh, are momentous, and uh, and you should get good, competent legal advice. 
Well, Robert, that's all good advice from you. I hope that our listeners can send in any questions they have about beneficiary deeds or other types of deeds because this is a, an area that I think is offer, often misunderstood or underappreciated. Absolutely true. And we would like to invite you to join us again next week for the next episode of Elder Law Issues. I'm Robert Fleming, one of the partners at Fleming & Curdy PLC a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm. The other voice you've been hearing is Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, one of the other partners. And, um, and you know, we'd love to give you actual legal advice because this isn't legal advice. This is not a substitute for uh, resolving your own personal legal problems, but we hope that the information is useful and helpful. And we hope you'll join us again next time.